Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, you may find your way to Exodus chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the table if you need one. Please take one. If you need one and can't get to one, send someone, hey, go get me a Bible. I need a Bible really quick. I'd be glad to put a copy of God's Word in your hand. You owe nothing for it. Please just take it, use it, read it, give it away. Exodus chapter 15. This page and I are going to fight today, it looks like. The Bible tells us that Israel was oppressed in Egypt for 400 years. I wonder how many in the room today may feel as though you have been oppressed for 400 years. Uh, This is a pretty vulnerable and raw sermon for me today because I feel as though I've been oppressed for 400 years this last week. Multiple generations of families treated harshly as slaves. I didn't face that. Made to work under the hand of ruthless taskmasters who cared only about the goal they were to accomplish for the king of Egypt. Now, the Israelites have been freed from the rule of the king of Pharaoh. He would not let them go. He would not yield and obey God. God put his hand upon Pharaoh. He said, I will compel him by a mighty hand. I will stretch out my hand and I will free you, my people. He has freed them. They are now across the Red Sea after having been trapped in a moment of time by the army of Egypt against the sea with no escape in sight, with nothing that they could do to save themselves, to deliver themselves. They are now on the other side of the Red Sea after God having miraculously opened the waters, drying the ground, bringing them through, crashing the waves back on top of the Egyptian army and destroying them. They are on the other side of the Red Sea delivered, redeemed, and looking upon the dead bodies of the Egyptian soldiers that are washing up on shore because God has executed his righteous judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt. They see bodies, they see horses, they see chariots destroyed, the visible evidence of God's wrath on sin and disobedience. In May... Of 1865. Everybody said, What? <clears throat> An untold number of onlookers lined Pennsylvania Avenue from the U.S. Capitol building down Pennsylvania Avenue past the current U.S. Treasury building to the White House for days. They did this to watch the over 145,000 U.S. Army soldiers parade in review past a grandstand of dignitaries to say, to the best of their ability, thank you for acting on our behalf. You've gone to war. Many did not return, a war that claimed over 630,000 American lives. For years, Americans fought one another, and now the war was over, and they were cheering the victorious army. Perhaps one of the first depicted in photograph victory parades in all of history. I didn't look to know that that is a fact. I just know that there are photographs of this event having happened. In 1945, 46, 
American soldiers were returning from World War II, and we were throwing ticker tape parades like no other. Streets covered in confetti as it fell, and as thousands upon thousands. I watched a video the other day of four million people watching 13,000 troops of the 82nd Airborne Division parade through New York City to say thank you for going and doing on our behalf what we could not do. I grew up in Durand, just up the road. It's my hometown. Right on Saginaw Street, if you're familiar, and most of us probably are, right on Saginaw Street in Durand is where my parents live to this day. When our high school sports team, and perhaps this is something that's been known in other towns and communities, but when our high school sports team, or for our situation when I was a young person, better yet, our marching band, because the sports teams weren't much to talk about, however, occasionally, when the sports teams or the marching band would win a major victory or achieve a major accomplishment, the very night that they would return from said victory, they would parade down Saginaw Street to shouts and cheers of a town proud of what their children had done. Look what our kids have done. They've done this. Like our town has a a bright spot right now because of these young people and their hard work. It still happens. I actually got a hold of my mom and said, I'm remembering this correctly, aren't I? Oh yeah, they still do it. Did it last year. Why? So that the people of the town could say, we're proud of what you did on behalf of our community. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. 
Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess and sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Heavenly Father, I pray as we examine your word today that you would build us up, edify your body through your word by the power of your spirit. Father, I am, I am weak and I am unable to communicate any truth from your word that your spirit does not communicate. Father, speak to me as you speak through me. Encourage us, strengthen us. Father, help us to see the deep truth of how awesome you are and what our deliverance is for. Father, I pray that as your word is taught this day, God, that it would humble sinners to repentance, and I pray salvation. Father, I pray as we examine this passage that the holiness of your people will be promoted among those gathered here, and I pray, Father, that as we examine this mighty act of you, that Christ, our Savior, would be exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> From our time together today, I want us to think about and take away this thought. God delivers us to worship. It's that simple. Today I want us to take away from this passage, God delivers us to worship. We all have many thoughts about our salvation, how we got it, why we got it, what do we do with it. The truth of God's word reveals to us that our salvation produces worshipers of God. We have been delivered to worship. God delivers us to worship. Many of you are probably wondering, what in the world are you talking about this grand review in 1865 and ticker tapes in the 40s and your high school team in your hometown? What we just witnessed here in Exodus chapter 15 is the first of what will be many unto the end of time victory parades for the Lord God Almighty among his people. We just read of a victory parade. All of the components are there. God has achieved a victory. He is leading his host, and his host is now worshiping and praising at the feet of a victorious God. All of it's there, even at the end of the chapter. This strange little, which nobody really talks at all about, these strange little couple verses where it says, Miriam took a tambourine and the women, they went out. Like This becomes something that happens throughout all of history. The Romans write about conquering emperors and armies, returning, and women parading before them. In Samuel, it happens when they defeat the Philistines. They come back and the women are, are cheering and singing. Like This is a victory parade that we are learning about 
in Exodus chapter 15. We're also learning about more than just a victory parade. We're learning that God delivers us to worship and we learn about what our worship should consist of. This is not an comprehensive. I'm not going to give you our worship should consist of this and there's the whole thing. No, this is just a touch of some of the aspects of what our worship should consist of. How we worship and praise the Lord. Look at these first three verses. It says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. You know what this is? These first Second half of verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, this is a profession of faith on behalf of the Israelite people. Look what they say. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Look at, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The Lord has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him They are confessing God as theirs. Our singing is a profession of faith. When we praise, they're singing. They sang to the Lord, professing belief in, faith in, confidence in God and what he has done. When we sing, I was thinking about this. I I don't often, but this week this made me think of it. When we sing, we are professing our faith as we sing. If you do not hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you stand and sing, you are professing faith in Jesus Christ, but perhaps without the belief in your heart. That's what's happening. You're singing perhaps empty words, and I want them to be full words as your heart is united with what you are singing, but our singing is a profession of faith. We just sang, you are the strength of my life. You flood the darkness with light. I'm holding on. You are an anchor for my soul. That's a, that's a profession of faith. As you sing those words out, you're professing, I believe these things about God, and they are professing as they sing, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He is my strength, my song, my salvation, my God. This is an outset. We often wonder, how were people in the Old Testament saved when they didn't know Jesus? Because God has always promised deliverance for his people. And God has always promised deliverance for his people through their faith in God and his promise. Christ is the realized manifestation of God's promise in the world. He's the fulfillment of everything that we see in the Old Testament. And here, no, they don't have Christ to look to. They don't have I believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe that God raised him from the dead. I profess, Jesus, you are my mother. They didn't have that. All they had was the promise of God. And I believe that promise. We learned that lesson from Abraham early in Genesis. He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. An outstanding, if you've ever been looking for a profession of faith in the Old Testament, this one is outstanding and it's not the only one. They confess what he has done. The Lord has triumphed gloriously. Later in Israel's history, which sounds funny to say, but it hasn't happened yet in this moment, later there's going to be an army that's going to attack them and God's going to tell the leader that he selects to lead his people against them, you have too many men to fight against them. It needs to be less. He whittles them down to 300 men and he says to them, even at like 10,000 men, he's like, it's too many. 
if you guys win, you're going to find a way to take credit for yourself on that one. I'm going to make this so that only I can get the glory for this. Here, they just admit it. We, we stood on the sea, and the water was there, and the army was there, and all of a sudden the water wasn't there, and the ground was dry. We walked across, and then the water was back, and the army that was there was killed and destroyed. There's their dead bodies of horses and men and chariots on the seashore. God did this. We did nothing. You, our God, have triumphed gloriously. I will sing to the Lord. Look what they say. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The triumph of God is the inspiration of their singing. What God has done inspires the song that bursts forth out of them. The deliverance of God is glorious. You have triumphed gloriously. You didn't just triumph. You didn't just win a victory. You didn't just overcome an obstacle. You have triumphed gloriously. God has triumphed gloriously for his people still today. For all of those that are here, God's law stands against every one of us. Every man, a lawbreaker before a holy God. He is holy and separate from sin. We are sinners and separate from him. And God's law stands between us as a record of debt. Romans chapter 3 verse 19 says that the law stops every mouth. It shuts every the law of God stops every mouth and the whole world is accountable to God. The good news of Jesus Christ is that through faith in Jesus, the record of debt that stands against us, Colossians says, is taken away. Christ disarmed it by nailing it to the cross. Christ canceled what stood against us, nailing it to the cross. The Egyptians, or the Israelites, see dead Egyptians on the seashore, and we stand on the seashore, and we see what stood against us. The bond and the yoke of slavery that we could not break, the sin that we could not cast off. We stand on the seashore, seeing the deliverance of God in our life, who has triumphed gloriously through faith in Christ. It's all dead on the seashore which means we should start living like we've been delivered. We should worship because we have been delivered. They say here, God is a man of war, verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. That's expressing belief in the power and the might of the Lord God. The Lord is his name, expressing belief in what? When they say the Lord is his name, this is Israel and Moses, the host of God's people, saying, the Lord is his name. They are saying, we believe that everything that God has said about himself is true. The Lord is his name. You'll recall way back in Exodus chapter 3, which we probably examined last July, God says to Moses, go to the people of Israel. They're going to say, what's your name? And God says to him, the Lord is my name. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This here is Israel saying, we believe everything God has said about him. We look at it. Do you remember where we left off last week? Thus the Lord saved Israel, verse 30, chapter 14. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people believed, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God's actions produced in them belief. And we examined last week, Christ says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. 
Welcome to the conversation, everyone. A man of war. The Lord is his name, triumphed gloriously. When we sing to the Lord, we are professing God as ours. We are declaring that what we believe about we, that, that we believe he is who he says he is. It's not just a pleasing song. It's not just something that is entertaining. When God's people gather together and God's people sing God's praise, God's people are professing, that's my God. I'm worshiping him, he alone. He is my king. He is my savior. It is a profession of faith. Moses and the people go on, verse 4 through verse 10, talking about what he did, the deliverance. He cast Pharaoh and his host into the sea, covered them. They went down. Did you read the last part of verse 10? Like lead, they sank in the mighty waters. Just to the bottom. No human might could overtake the power of God coming down upon them in the flood of the Red Sea. God had defended them with his all-powerful nature. Omnipotent, all power, all the time. Never diminishing, God had defended them. I wonder, do you praise God for his power in your life? Does the power of God in your life prompt you to sing louder, to worship more, to adore and praise God more because of what he has done on your behalf that you know you couldn't do? The people of Israel could not do what had just happened to them. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. I read through verses 4 through 10. And all of what they throw back to God, you did, you did, he did, you did. The enemy tried. Verse 9, I will pursue, overtake, divide the spoil. I'll have my fill. No. I was reminded as I studied this passage, it says the enemy will pursue in verse 9 and verse 10. You blew with your wind. At the end of time, there are going to be such enemies against the kingdom of God as we have never known. I was there. I was there in a presidential election in the 2000s when we elected a president who people started saying he's got to be the Antichrist. How dare we? One, Americans are so conceited and selfish that we think God's going to enter in the end of time through us. We have not seen enemies of God as what is revealed in his word yet. The Bible says there will be an enemy of God that will come about who will destroy, who will blaspheme, who will be unthinkable. Revelation talks about it. You know what Thessalonians says about that enemy? It says that Jesus Christ, the conquering king, will kill him with the breath of his mouth. That's the power of God. I don't know what you're facing in your life. I have no idea what struggle may have walked in the room, but the breath of God is enough to produce victory in your life. Man, sometimes I have hard enough time like getting a cup of coffee in the morning. And God's going to vanquish the most vile of enemies that have ever been opposed to him, realized by humanity with the breath of his mouth. Here, the enemy said, I will, I, effectively, I will destroy those people. You blew with your wind and destroyed them. Pharaoh resisted. He had disobeyed God. He had exalted himself against God and thought himself even to be God and he lost. This is a note for everyone to take. If you think that you are God, you will lose. If you are set up on the throne of your life as God, you will lose. God will win. 
God will stand victorious over the bodies of his enemies. Because of God's eternal covenant with his people through faith in Christ, we can hold on to the words of Isaiah 54, verse 17. Oh, good words. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. All those who rise up against you shall fall. Bad things happen in this life, absolutely. Every one of us could put our hands up right now and say, had bad stuff happened this past week, got bad stuff going to happen this next week. Life's full of bad and unfortunate circumstances. Bad things are going to happen. But because of God's eternal promise with his people through faith in Jesus Christ, we know that our eternal outcome beyond this life is only good. That song we sang, Almost Home, I promise you that no one in this room knows the struggles you're facing better than you. But everybody in this room is facing struggles. And as we think about going home, we're saying the struggles won't matter one day. It'll all be over one day. It'll all be done. One day, we'll all be home. Faith in Jesus Christ makes it possible. Do you know the Lord, your Savior? Verse 11 and verse 12, I love it. They're citing what's happened, professing faith, confessing faith. God did these things. This is what he did and how he did it. And it's like verse 11 just erupts in the middle of nowhere. Who's like you, O Lord, among the gods? When was the last time you ever prayed that in your life? Oh God, who's like you? Who, who among the gods is like you? Do you realize that he is the only God? There is no other God? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Different translations, versions of the Bible word these verses differently. I like what some of them say. I'm trying to remember them because I didn't write them down, but one of them was uh, 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 glorious in holiness, majestic in holiness. Maybe you have a version of the Bible. You can come and tell me later the difference that it says. Majestic in holiness. Who is like you? No one. This is a very raw and real question for them in this moment. Think about it. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? What did we examine? Exodus 7 through 10, 12, 11, whatever it was, the plagues. What did we examine? God had just demolished every god that that Egypt threw at him. He made every god that Egypt had look utterly foolish. There is no one who is like you among the gods. None. Who is like you, majestic in holiness? I made this note about that line, majestic in holiness, right? Great in holiness. The holiness of God separates him from sin. He is separate from sin, from us. He is holy. In the Bible, the holiness of God, I will give credit to the late preacher, R.C. Sproul, is the only attribute of God that goes to the third degree. What do I mean by that? The Bible nowhere says, oh, God of love, love, love. The Bible nowhere says, oh, God of grace, grace, grace. Oh, God of justice, justice, justice. No. No, all of the attributes that could be listed and named of God, the only one that gets three is holy, holy, holy. And it does it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our God is a holy, holy, holy God. It's the only attribute of God that goes to the third degree. None other does it. Isaiah 6.3 is the Old Testament reference. Revelation 4.8, the New Testament reference. That is what is sung around the throne of God in heaven right now. 
We're here waiting for this finite misery to be done with. And God is in eternal being, essence, power, everything, being worshipped around his throne by angels and cherubim and seraphim and wings and eyes and mouths and all this stuff, crying back and forth, holy, 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 holy. And we're down here not realizing how holy he is because of how bad life is, of stuff in the world. But if we realize that we are delivered to worship, we realize that there is a God who is so unlike us, he has done something so far outside of us that he is so holy as to be worshipped. The character of God alone deserves praise. Write this down. If God never did anything good for you, if God never healed the sick, if God never made the blind to see, if God never made the lame to walk, he deserves praise. Praise because he is holy, holy, holy. How often are we too content to only give praise when things go the way that we want them to? Guilty is charged right here first and foremost. No, praise God when things don't go the way that you want them to because above all, he is holy, holy, holy. Job said, shall we expect only good and not bad? Shall we receive only good and not bad from the Lord? He's God. He is God. He is holy. Verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Verse 16. Terror and dread fall on them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. The love of God for his people does not bring about, does not prompt, but because God loves his people so much, he does awe-striking things for us. It's not that you or I did anything to prompt God to act in the way that he did. God loves us and he acts in the way that he does because of his love and his promise to his people. Does your praise come from a place of awe and wonder over what God has done for you? Verse 13, you led, you redeemed you guided. Verse 16, you purchased. They're praising him for what he has done. But look at verse 17, you will bring. They are praising God both for what he has done and for what he is going to do. Are you only praising God for what he has done? Are you only praising God for what he will do? When God delivers us to worship, God delivers us to praise him for what he has done and for what he will do. And we could even throw in for what he is doing. We're so tempted always to think that God is so passive in our lives. He's not. He's unlike us, but he's intricately involved in our life. God is holy, but he is active and involved in our lives. Israel is singing praise to God for what he has done and for what he will do. This is a pattern of praise for us. Is your praise for God filled with awe and wonder for what he has done and what he will do? What has he done for us? God demonstrated his love and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
I could just stop on that one verse, but there's so much more. What, is, what did God ever do? Well, in the misery of your sin, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He bled and died and rose again. He is the redeemer. And God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, not when we, got, not when we got cleaned up, not when we got polished up, not when we went and took a shower and changed our clothes and came back and said, hey God, do I work now? No, 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 you're a wreck. You're a wretched wreck. I love you and I sent my son to die for you. I've purchased you by his blood. It says in 1 John chapter 3 that God has lavished his love on us that we should be called his sons and daughters. It's not just that he demonstrated his love for us in Christ dying. It's that when he demonstrated the love, he took the vast, I can't think of a container large enough. God dumped his love on his people. He lavished his love on us that we should be called sons and daughters. Why? Because we were wretched sinners. Instead, we are called sons and daughters. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says this. You were ransomed. The Greek word, which I don't often do, but I, I did this time. The Greek word, lutrao, I guess is probably the best way to say it. You were ransomed, lutrao, redeemed by payment, bought from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, right? People say, well, my, my dad was this, my dad was that, right. But it doesn't have anything to do with what your dad was fully. It has a lot to do with what your dad was, but it has a lot to do with what your father Adam was and how he wrecked every one of us, like all the way back. You inherited from your fathers, bought you from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I read that and it blew my mind that here we are on the other side of the Red Sea just after the Passover had been celebrated where what? Where they were redeemed. How? By the blood of what? A lamb without blemish or spot. The Passover lamb. And then all the way, what? It's maybe 1450 BC, and so we advance, you know, 1580 years or whatever to get to Peter writing after Christ's resurrection, sometime in maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50 AD. He writes here, and Peter immediately writes to his audience and says, You have been purchased precisely how the Israelites coming out of Egypt were purchased. You didn't part the sea to come through it. You didn't cast off the chains of the taskmaster. God purchased you. They sing, you have redeemed us. You have purchased us. And this should fill us with awe and wonder. Why? Because none of us are going to the local prisons to get the worst and vilest of criminals out of them, are we? They're sitting there and we say, give them what they deserve. But God, rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, gracious, loved us, and through Christ, who died for us, purchased us out of, ransomed us from the vilest, the vilest of conditions. You know what the difference is between the worst of criminals that you can imagine sitting in the jail cell right now and you and I? They got caught, they got in trouble, and they got convicted, and they got put there. And that's what will happen to the unredeemed. 
God is redeeming out of that cesspool of sin a people for his own glory to worship him, delivered to worship, purchased by God. How incredible. If, if, if there is nothing else that should prompt awe and wonder in our praise, the fact that we are redeemed, we're here. You came here today. Why? Because God is real, he's on his throne, and he sent his real son to die a real death and rise again to a real life to save you. That should produce such awe that we can't sing any song without being filled with praise to God. We talked in Exodus 14 about our enemy. He's real. The Israelites knew their enemy was real. He's warring against us. He's opposed to God and to God's people. But the Lord, pay attention to this thought, the Lord leading forth his host, right? None of us are claiming the victory. We can't claim the victory. We can only give God credit for the victory. Thank you, God, for acting on our behalf. We're going to throw you the victory parade. We're going to give you the victory shout. You did it. You have triumphed gloriously. And as God leads his people out, I want us to note this. In this moment, there is no one around but God and the people of Israel. You should probably write it down. In this moment, there's no one around but God and the people of Israel. There's no one to see it. There's no one to make a show for. There's no one to say, this is what our God did. Look what he did. Don't you want to believe in our God too? It's just the people of Israel and God. And now as God leads forth, they're just on the shore of the Red Sea, as God leads forth his host and his people praise him. Look at the words that Moses uses in this prophecy, because why? They haven't encountered a soul yet. They tremble. Terror and dread fill them. God will stand in victory. Listen, I want to back this thought up, delivered to worship. When we're delivered, Everybody here would say, our deliverance is God doing an awesome thing, right? Our deliverance is an awesome thing. It is a praise-worthy thing. God has delivered us. God has done something great. When God does something great, singing follows. Biblically, I want to show context that what happens here in Exodus happens for God's people throughout Scripture, and it should be happening for us here today. In Judges, God defeats his enemy and the people sing. First and second Samuel, God defeats his enemies and the people and the king, they sing. It's all across the Psalms. It's found in Isaiah. You can see it in Jeremiah. You can find it in Hosea. Three Hebrew boys are thrown into the fire and they're singing before God even delivers them. In Luke 1, Mary sings praise to God for his mercy. She sings praise to God for his strong arm. She sings praise to God for filling the hungry with good things. When God does something great, singing follows. In Luke 2, when Christ came into the world as a baby, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among men with whom his favor dwells. At the end of time, when God vanquishes all of his foes, when the last of God's enemy, Corinthians says, death, when death is vanquished, when Satan, the great deceiver, the serpent is chained and thrown into the lake of fire, when God establishes his eternal kingdom with man for all time, 
The Bible says in Revelation chapter 15, God has done something great in bringing this to an end. Standing beside the sea of glass, we just heard it a little bit ago, Revelation 15 too. Standing beside the sea of glass with harps in their hands, they sing the song of Moses. Do you understand how full spectrum God's word is? What we are reading in Exodus chapter 15 is a future picture of our life as redeemed children of God. Moses and the Israelites sang this song on the shores of the Red Sea. And when we come into glory with God as he vanquishes all, we will sing that song together. I wonder, as they stand on the Red Sea, Israel, seeing the deliverance of God as they burst into song, as they throw a victory parade for the Lord, the God of heaven, foreshadowing how all of God's people will worship him in eternity. I wonder, is your life a victory parade for God right now? Or are you waiting to join the song in eternity? You've been delivered to worship. I've been delivered to worship. Are you worshiping now? Or are you waiting for some magical, awe-inspiring moment. The awe-inspiring moment was God sent his son to die for us while we were sinners and through faith in him, we are forgiven and saved for all eternity. That's the awe-inspiring moment. Christ did that on the cross for us. Do you believe? If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, if you're here today and your faith and every confidence is not in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I don't expect your life to be a victory parade for the King of Kings. I'd love to talk with you more about calling on the name of the Lord, repenting of sin, and being saved. God saves sinners. For the redeemed, is your life a victory parade right now? Are you, like the Israelites on the shores of the Red Sea, singing God's praise? Does your praise adore the triumph of God in your life? Does your praise sing of the deliverance of God in your life? Are you singing God's praise when no one is around to see it? It's just Israel and God standing on the shores of the Red Sea. Is your life like those parades that we can watch footage of from the 40s and pictures of from the 1800s and read about in Roman folklore or remember when your high school team walked down the street? Is that your life for the Lord who has triumphed gloriously for you? We're going to end our service a little differently today. Typically, we end with a song, and here after talking about singing for so long, it seems like we probably should. However, there are no, there's no melody for this. It says that at the end of time, standing beside the glassy sea with harps of God in their hand, they sing the song of Moses. We're going to read these words from Revelation chapter 15 today in closing. Would you please stand and read with me? I want you to think about a God that has triumphed for you, a God that has brought victory to your life who has redeemed you as we read these words together. Great and amazing.
Father, I pray, God, that we would be a people whose life is a victory parade that worships and magnifies you, our God in heaven, who one day will return to this earth and take his people to be with you. Father, we praise you for how you have triumphed gloriously, for your righteous acts that have been revealed, for the salvation at so great a cost, the blood of Jesus that redeems us. Oh God, help us to sing out the victory song of who you are this day, tomorrow, and into the future of whatever you have called our days. May our life be a song of praise to you, our God, who has triumphed gloriously. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace and peace with you all. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.